But right now, I'm still uh, losing this. <laughs> I'm still losing <laughs> this. this, this <laughs> maybe about the. Sie verstehen schon was. Das das Gefängnis das Gefängnis uh -huh. der Freiheit. Uh -huh. you know, I'm like reading like a story every night out of that, and uh, every night I feel like, oh, I want to read more, but I'm like, no, let's let's uh, let's not do an all nighter here, but like. Let that settle in because every story is kind of like shaking. I love that. I love it. Honestly, he's in my top five writers. Yeah. And yeah. Like, I even enjoy it more than, than Hermann Hesse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, you know, it's funny. I, I um, read a good amount of that first story in the book. Mm -hmm. And it is weird. I love the writing. I love the story. Mm -hmm. It also felt deeply mm -hmm. personal to some degree because it was all about like not having a home and trying to find a home. And there were like things in there that I thought, oh, maybe this story will reveal something important to me or something, right? Like speaking to me, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, from the first word, I was feeling a resistance while reading. Mm. It was sort of an uphill climb and not a pleasant one. And okay. I've noticed this with many uh, books. Uh, it, it took me a good amount of time to find Momo. And Momo really, yeah. like, even all of the books from Bukowski that I read, yeah. most of them, I was working through them, you know? I was enjoying yeah. it at times, but it was never, it was never that magic moment where it just, you know, you're in the river and it just goes and you just, it, and the work is to stop reading, right? It's never just to yeah. read. Yeah. I never even had that with Bukowski. Maybe the, the one that was the most enjoyable was the woman one because it was just so fun. But mm -hmm. all of his books, I really liked reading, but there were work to read. And yeah. Then I started like a shit ton of books, like a ton of books. And most of the books where while I was reading them, I knew I'm going to come back and love this book one day. Like, mm -hmm. but I was just not finding the flow. And uh, Momo was yeah. the first book in a minute where it yeah. was just yeah. like, you know, I loved yeah, it. Yeah, same. I mean, for me too, Momo, Momo was again the one that's like threw me into the flames of... Yes, reading, yes. lawful reading. And, and I said, okay, just there. So with this book of his, I didn't have that, but I was sort of forcing mm -hmm. myself because I was thinking it is going to be good. It is going to be good. Just keep going. But I shifted mm -hmm. to reading uh, Dionetische Geschichte. And you see, Dionetische yep. Geschichte is a book where my mind is like, I've seen the movie as a child a number of times. I don't remember everything, but I kind of like, I feel like I know this. Yeah. And I'm like, it's a, it's such a commercial, it was such a commercial movie and book that I'm like, we uh -huh. know it's kind of a throwaway. I don't care about this. I want to read this other book of it. It's really good. But, you know, it's like your heart can't, you know, you can't choose who to love. You cannot choose which book to love. You, <laughs> you just can't. And so... I've started reading the Unendishi Geschichte and I'm, I'm too early to really say, but I can already tell that it's just so much easier. Like I'm just, the reading is, there's something 
satisfying about it in a way that I couldn't find in the other book. Although mentally I was like, this is great. The writing is great. This is going to teach you mm-hmm. something important. It's going to be so great to talk to Ramin about this. You know, a couple of days, mm-hmm. I was almost, I was like almost forcing myself to read, to get to the end, to be able to talk to you about it. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. And then I yeah, had to yeah. catch myself and go, don't do this. Like reading, yeah. you, you know, the thing that was the most powerful about my, one of the most powerful things about last year in Austin was that it was just the time where I started reading Dune and I loved reading Dune so deeply and it's a book that you love to read and it's not over in a day, right? So it's like a lot to love. Mm-hmm. And then I finished that and then I just read the other fucking five books, which in totality is, I don't know, like it's like 180 hours of reading or some shit. Like it's a lot of fucking reading. And all of the time, I mean, the first book I really loved and then all the other ones were ups and downs, but I loved reading and I loved losing myself in that world. And to read for so much time, to have so much time on my own to read and love every little bit of it, it was like, it was the fucking best. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when I started uh, reading I reminded myself um, like, don't lose yourself in reading what you think is a good book or what you think while you're mm-hmm. reading is, is going to be useful or valuable or good. You have to go through the exercise again and again forever of trying to yeah. find the next book you love and you can't force it. Yeah. You just can't, no matter how good it yeah. is, you can't. Yeah, that is so true. That's so true. Momo did that for me too. Like I got into a, into a groove again where I was like kind of highlighting a lot and then kind of, you know, you read something and then thoughts come up, right? And then taking notes and everything, which is also awesome and amazing, especially when you then go back and you read your, your, your notes again, right? But um, it also slows you down and takes you out of it, right? And with more and more, I had like, you know, it was all there kind of, uh, <laughs> right? but, uh, but I was just, you know, just enjoy this, just enjoy reading, right? And so I, I, I just enjoyed reading this like a kid and not thinking about, oh, this is there and capture this. Dude, I read Momo in German. Then I listened to the audiobook. Then I told the entire book and I told it in um, maybe like seven or eight parts each, like 10 to 15 minutes. I told the story. Well, okay. yeah. In memory, in detail. Like I, of course I jumped a lot, but I didn't like, I didn't just do like a summary of summaries. I really went through it mm-hmm. in a good amount of detail and I ordered it in English because I wanted to read it in English as well. Like this is how much I love it just to see how it is in English. Mm-hmm. I really fucking love this book. Um, yeah. And let's see, the you know, the Geschichte, what got me in the beginning of the book is the way he describes that little boy and his experience in school and how books are the thing that gives him shelter and escape and how he reads. There was something that connected with like my younger self, like with the, 
the time around where I discovered books in such a different way, right? I wasn't reading like he is and I'm not nothing like that kid. But still, in my yeah. soul, there was something that was like connecting with that uh, in a beautiful way. And I, I love watching that interview with my uh, uh, Michael Ender where he talked about his like creative process. Like I'm so inspired by the way he thought. I posted to you that that part. I found that somewhere else today where I was looking for something about um, turtles. The way he mm -hmm. talks about like why turtles keep making an appearance in his books. It's like fucking love the guy. Like I absolutely love, love that guy. And he's the kind yeah. of German writer where you read in German and you enjoy, like you distinctly enjoy the beauty that the German language has, the unique beauty it has, which yeah. is, I think with English, I find it to be, I mean, English is a very powerful language, but also very flexible. And it is, you can do a lot with it. Very complicated, very simple, everything, right? So that the, the, there's yeah. like never ending. With German, I find it's much harder in my perception. I haven't read as much in German, but it, it was, it's been rarer for me to find, like to read German where I feel like the writing is true craftsmanship and creates like unique beauty through that, the German language. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, like, I, I definitely think that Hermann Hesse is good, but his writing is not as good as Michael Endes. Like that, for sure, like that, I would totally agree with that. Um, this uh, is a great, there's a very powerful creativity in Michael Endes. I mean, there's depth. You can tell there's real, a real deep human being yeah. behind these words, but there's also a lightness, a creativity, a, a playfulness. Um, maybe yeah. that is more rare. Um, but yeah, he's dope. He was fucking dope. And I, let, I, I really love the kind of absurd and fantastic aspects yeah. sometimes yeah. of yeah. his stories where it's just like, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> wow. You end up becoming this picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It does something with you. And then he has like a lot of things. It's like about time, right? Or about this. There's another story later where it's kind of a great uh, metaphor for what, you know, on, on several levels, maybe working in a large corporation is like, but then also society and this, and it's, but in a way where it's not this typical boring thing, but it's like so fantastic that it's like, ooh, and because it's so like visceral and, and, and on a, on an actual human level where it's about your food and your body and all of that, right? It's like, oh, no, it's, it has an intensity, but also beauty. It's, it's kind of, it's, it, it's uh, funny because okay. um, yesterday when I was reading uh, in the first couple of pages that the kid is reading the book, he stops at some mm -hmm. point and basically is like explaining how the boy is thinking, thank God this book is not one of those books that is about people's lives and people's problems and people's solutions. Because these kind of books always try to get you to do something or agree to something. And it's always like the kid is like, hates reading these kind of books because they always want to make you do something or agree to something. And mm. the boy is like, and I'm like, I can't stand that. This book is about fucking 
Fantasia. And it's like about this like crazy yeah. universe and everything. And so it's just like this beautiful journey I'm flying uh, and I'm traveling through. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny because apparently, purely based on the interview, one interview I read about him and the YouTube interview that you shared with, with me, apparently some of his critics were criticizing for escapism in his writing, which to me, I mean, to me mm -hmm. is like my book. Why? How would you, this is a person that writes st made up stories. How, what do you mean escapism? But you didn't say like, what is, what does that even mean? You can write, if it's fantasy uh, writing. Like, fuck, those, fuck those critics. Yeah, like a, fuck those, what have they written that we yeah, want to write? Escapism? Right. <laughs> what the kind, what kind, that is the kind of criticism I can't even like compute. I'm like, how could you, yeah. how could you go? Yeah. Are you like, this is escapism because it's about like fantastic world and it's yeah. like fantasy? Shut the fuck up, bitch. Like, what are you talking about? That's crazy to me. Um, but doing maybe all good fantasy, I mean, probably all good fantasy, just like all good science fiction, is not at the core about the science and the fiction. It's like always humanity. This, the, it must reflect something so deep within us for it to touch us, right? Otherwise, it's going to be something far away. Yeah. We just look at it and go, oh, looks interesting. But to touch, to move, it needs to be something that is deeply human. There's something powerful when you can tell deeply human stories in ways not told before in creating forms to feel for humans that they can't access yeah. on their own. And you do it through a... Cre through creative storytelling that, you know, escapes this planet and, you know, and, yeah. and all the rules yeah. of physics. You can, it, it frees you of the attachments and concepts that are in your mind about this country or this kind of person or this profession or the system, right? And it's just like a new kind of warm up more with a, this, this less, less, uh, pre, I should it's so amazing that I do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are free of words, you know, you free yourself of, you know, sentence structures, you free your word of cadence, rhythm, good tonality, you're free of all of those things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's also, you know, sometimes what I, what, what I love about, I, I'm not really well versed in poetry, but some of the poetry that I recently read from Bukowski or even mean music, most music lyrics are poetry, right? They, they're not like, yes. you know, literal storytelling. When song lyrics are really powerful to me, they are powerful because they're using almost the, the, the sentence is not complete. The words do not always make sense, but you know exactly what they mean. Mm -hmm. And they say mm -hmm. something in ways that you could have never, you've never heard being said before because it couldn't yeah. be said in normal ways. That's when it's really like magical. The last song that I shared with you, this rarely works, right? When something like this inspires you, it's rarely works to actually read it through with another human being because usually the other human being just goes yeah that's really great but they don't feel the right. it's hard to fall in love in the exact same thing at the exact same moment right 
but still just for my own sake oh the it's the song can't complain by jpl in that song i mean it's also the way beautiful melody in the way he sings it but he said when he says it's in the seas we come out of there and want to be heard everything's of beat you're caught in a whirlwind your head is a mess and you cannot see like only that little bit the whole like it's in the seas. We come out of there and want to be heard. Everything's offbeat. Like a bunch of stuff that he says doesn't connect to me on a logical level. Like the the actual, um, the whole song actually doesn't connect. I couldn't tell you what it's about. You know, there's some things in that, in those song lyrics that don't connect at all. But overall, I know exactly what he's saying. Like there's a feeling that is so powerful. Um, it's it, and that itself is also so tricky to feel something and then use words with the freedom, you know, not bound by logic, not bound by you know any rules. To have the freedom to throw things together in a way that's still beautiful, and then people will be able to read and get it or feel it. Um, it's amazing. It's magic. It's pure magic. Um, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, Michael Ende. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, there's not it. Once I read the, the English version, there's not much more I can do to work through the material. Like I'm, I'm consuming it in all modalities and, 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 uh, throwing it back into the world. Um, and I bought it for, I bought it for my mom, uh, cause I thought she would really enjoy reading it. Um, mm -hmm. actually to, so, uh, some of the things that I've been thinking about today, the most, not thinking about the day, the most, the thing, one of the things that I've most intensely experienced today has been connected to Momo and Michael Ende, which is the, the idea of patience, right? Um, today, you know, I took some time to go on a kind of awareness walk, like a meditative walk through nature. I did my yoga. I worked as hard as I could to slow down, to be calm, to flow, to digest. And, you know, today I was way more struggling with those things than yesterday. I could feel restlessness. I could feel more tension in my body. I could feel more difficulty. Even like my walk yesterday through nature was just like pure bliss. And then today was a little bit of bliss and a bunch of struggle. Like it just was not the same thing. I could not replicate it exactly the way I wished. And, um, so I've introduced, like I started a new thing with my boys, which is that I have one-on-ones with them. So one thing that I always dislike, this is something you don't even probably have experienced because you have one daughter. But when you have two children or multiple children, one of those tricky things that can happen as a parent is that you always are with both of them, especially like my kids are very mm. similar in age and they're sort of best friends and always together. And so you're always kind of a group with them, dad and sons. 
which is awesome and fun and great. But there's a, a big difference between when you are with one child, one-on-one, -on -one, giving them all their attention. Yeah, interesting. Let me yeah. follow a bit. And I, I remember even bringing this up oftentimes with, my, with their mom, because even as a family, we were always like one group. And I was telling her, it'd be cool to split up in two groups and then be a whole group again, and then just one with... But it's always like when we do something, it's never you take one child and, and the other, and then we are doing something all together. It's always all together. And um, a month ago, too, when I was in Germany, I told them, my kids, hey, uh, I want to try something new, which is called, we'll call it one-on-one -on -one time, where I just take, you, take one of you on a walk and we just talk. It's just one-on-one. -on -one. It's just the two of us. And then I'll do the same with the other one. And we did that uh, uh, once, and it was, you know, it was a fun, interesting experience. And since I've been in Austin now, I suggested to to their mom that you know, let's find a time during the week where I call and I just have a call one on one instead of calling all both of them, basically, right? And that has been much harder to coordinate. But I had a one on one with my oldest a couple of days ago. Then through a lot of Back and forth. Today, I had a one-on-one -on -one with my youngest, with Leo. And as I, I, I was talking to him, see, with my oldest, it was a fairly smooth conversation because he got on the call and then he was like, all right, what's new with you, dad? Here's what's new with me. What could we talk about? Should we braid some story? Uh, do you have any secrets you can tell me? No. Hmm. Uh, all right, <laughs> I, I'm doing this and that. And then it's like, all right, dad, I think, I think we're good. Good talking to you. Like this was a good one-on-one, -on -one, but I think we're ready. I was like, all right, son, I'm with you. This was good. And it was like a, a, a 11 minute conversation, right? It was all right. That's fine. With my youngest today, you know, get on the call and he's like, you know, we have a little bit of a chat. The first like three or four minutes are sort of very similar. What are you doing? What's new? How was school? How is this? How is that? And then he's just like super quiet. And I can sense the restlessness in me starting to grow. Right. And so there's almost this feeling of going, well, this was fun. Let's do this again. Da, da, da. And like, let's wrap this up. We talked for a couple of minutes. This was nice. Well, let's wrap it up. But then I could also tell that he was not in a rush. And although he didn't necessarily have things to say, he wanted to be on the call. And so I tried to be patient. And at first I was patient in a very, was patient in a way where I'm going to hold my breath. I can tell you need a bit more time underwater, so I'll just hold my breath and wait for you. Look how patient I am. But then, yeah, exactly. Leo, I've done, I've done much harder things. Do you know what I Yes. <laughs> but then, you know, I could just tell how the longer the conversation was going or the longer he would take breaks and just like look at the wall and wonder and think what, you know, should we say, should we say something else that my oxygen levels were dripping, dipping, and mm -hmm. I needed to come mm -hmm. up for air, right? I had like a, <laughs> an urge to move things forward. 
And eventually awareness caught up with me and I thought, huh, is this a great moment to practice patience? Like to gift him my time to actually listen as well as I can, inspired by Momo, right? Like, what if I gave him all the time in the world he needs? And I take all the time that this conversation needs for me and just see what unfolds. And as I did that, the energy shifted from me being kind of nervous or impatient or thinking, okay, 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 let's, uh, let's wrap this up. We got all the good parts out. Now we're just uh, going in circles. We're wasting time. Let's go. Yep. Instead of thinking of it as like wasting time, thinking of it as sharing time, enjoying it, actually um, indulging a little bit in it, like thinking about time as this luxury good and here's my son, my fucking blood, my flesh and blood, and I'm going to give him a, you know, an oversight level of my time, a, a useless amount of my time because he's so worthy of it, right? My time is very valuable and he's worthy of all my time for no reason, yeah. no rhyme and no productivity needed. And once I shift it, the energy, I, the way I perceive the conversation shifted dramatically and all of a sudden something that turned into a slight torture, right? Like a, a good torture, like a, a, a parent sacrificing themselves for the good of their child yeah. turned into this relaxing, beautiful, loving, calming connection. Right. And that call with Leo, which is not surprising now that I think of it, right? That the call with uh, George is my oldest was like an 11 minute, let's get all the good, juicy facts out of the way. Let's see what interesting things we have to tell each other. All right, now let's wrap it up and move on with life. That made perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And that the call with Leo. Once I allowed it, turned into a 40-minute call. I've never had a 40-minute life call with my children unless I was telling them a 40-minute story. But like at back and forth, you ask me a question, I talk, I talk to you. My, like Usually my kids don't have, when they're together, they don't have the patience because also the oldest doesn't have the patience. I don't have the patience. But today, my youngest, he was alone. He had me on the phone and he, although he did not know what to say many times, he had the patience. He wanted to be on the call, right? So he, he was only fine at times to just sit there and look for 20, 30 seconds before he said something again, right? He was mm -hmm. totally okay with that. And I slowly but surely learned to be a bit better with it as well. Later, yeah. Six hours later, I had very different, but the exact same experience with my mother. My mother writes me a message and says, son, I had a very intense, very important dream. I'm a little flustered by it. If you have time, give me a call. I'd like you to help me 
unpack it for me. All right, when my mother wants something and needs something, like I'm for sure there. So I give her a call and she starts telling me about her dream. And as she's telling me about her dream, I find it fascinating. It's a very, it was a very, very fascinating, very interesting dream. And she tells it in a, a lot of detail. And I, the good son and the studious person I am, I'm taking notes, right? I'm writing down in little details, things to where I want to go back and ask her more questions about, right? I'm like fully there. I'm a professional dream interpreter right now, like coach, like coach of mothers to interpret dreams. That's what I am. And she goes through the whole thing. Once she finishes, she basically summarizes it again. And during the first telling, I was very engaged. During the summarizing, again, a little bit of impatience started bubbling up, you know? So it's almost like a little bit of an arrogant part of me that's like, yeah, I got everything. I don't need a summary. I could tell you this, like, your dream better than you can remember. It's like, what are we doing here? We're wasting time. But because I'm a great son, I didn't say anything. I let her do the summary. And then she was like, well, you know, what do you think? And I said, let's do a little, like, first of all, I cannot interpret your dream for you. I don't believe that that's uh, possible. What I can do is maybe help you, coach you through some exercise, some things that I've learned so that you can interpret it better. And by the way, it's fine if this is a process, like, it takes time to really start letting your subconscious and your conscious mind understand and translate between the two well. And when you have not done that, or when you've not really been somebody that has merged your intuition and your senses and your feelings and your mind in like a harmonious way, then it's usually very difficult at first. So anyways, we go through the exercise and I pick up the first thing that happened in the dream, right? So, you know, it's in the dark and... She's getting a call and there's a weird looking phone. I go, all right, let's talk about the weird, weird looking phone. And she goes into like, yes, exactly. It looked like this. And she, for the fourth time, goes through every little detail that she told me twice before. And when that <laughs> started, I was swimming up. I was diving up with all my might because I was about to drown. Like I was like no oxygen in me. I was like, oh, just like trying to get head above water to not fucking drown and die. And as that feeling bubbled up within me and I felt this like verge of impatience and I wanted to interrupt her and be like, ah, that, that, I heard this four times. I know. Let's stay with the topic, mom. Mm -hmm. When you saw this thing, what did he do? In that moment, it hit me in the face and it was like, well, what about patience? What about patience? What about, well, here's the question, right? Do, do you want to gift your mom the perfect knowledge? So she told you the facts. Now you're going to give her your list of facts and that's that. Or do you want her to heal? Do you want her to process what's going on? Do you want her to digest? Do you want her to discover do you want her to breathe, to have space, to think this through, to get lost? 
and you're holding that for her and helping her along, what do you want to do for her? Because apparently she needs to say some of these things multiple times to process them. It's apparent. There's nothing to do with you already knowing the facts. It's that she needs to say it many, many more times, apparently. So do you want to be there for her? Or do you want to just be for, there for her a little bit, right? As much as it takes for a shorter period of time. And so I caught myself and then I was like, well, well I'm going to practice patience, I guess, you know, I'll <laughs> just try to breathe deeply and let go of what I want to say and let go of how much or how little time this is taking and either fully commit to giving my mother all the time she needs on this call or not commit to that, but be honest, interrupt her and tell her, I only have this amount of time. Let's try to do whatever is possible in that amount of time. But I didn't really have, <laughs> this is the other thing. I really didn't have any other place to be. Like I didn't have another call or something. I, I had things I'd yeah. like to do. Like I didn't end up going to the gym because I ended up having a call with my mom that was like one and a half hours long, right? And I talked to her yeah. yesterday for two and a half hours. <laughs> That's a separate topic, right? So you should, you should start a, another podcast yeah, with your mom. Yeah, I seriously should. <laughs> um, but, but I, you know, so I didn't go to the gym, but, but it, I, it doesn't fucking matter. Like I didn't have to be anywhere. So I decided to fully be there, to fully be with her and yeah. to give this woman that have given me life and everything. You know, it's easy to admire your mom in a half a sentence and 10 second summary. You know, like it's easy to, it's easy for me to say my mom is great. It's much harder for me to give my mom three hours of my time. Right. Yeah. Uh, that takes something else. That is actually like making, like really sacrificing and gifting her, like really investing in her, really honoring her, um, saying that I love my mom and that she's the greatest. That's cheap. That's easy. Like that, that doesn't take much. Um, so we, we ended up having a, a beautiful conversation. She ended up being able to. I think have a lot of space to explore and talk and think through. And I still, you know, played my role, not just in listening, but also in stimulating, giving ideas, being a mirror, being somebody to give feedback. But in both moments, I maybe more, maybe with a higher level of awareness that I have in a long time felt how powerful my impatience can be, like how that feeling, how burning it is. And it's a kind of explosive. It's like a flame within me that it, it wasn't, it's not there. It's not there. It's not there. And then all of a sudden it's burning heights. Like a, a very urgent impulse and sensation to want to rush now to the finish line. Right. And I thought about the difference between patience and persistence because, and I thought about that quote, I keep going back to that quote. Um, let me see if I can find 
No, I'm not finding it right now, but it reminded me of that, that quote that, you know, some animal activist, animal type person, like wildlife expert person once said that had worked with elephants for like 30 years or something. And he said, if there's one thing I learned working with elephants for over 30 years, is how to be patience, how to be patient. And that patience is not how long you can wait, but it is the attitude with which you wait, right? That, I read that months ago and it stayed with me. It made a real impact. And I kept thinking about it, you know, patience, the attitude with which you wait, not how long you can wait. And I realized that I've never been a patient man, <laughs> never in my life. But I have been able to wait. I can be very calm and I can wait very long. But I have never done or rarely done either one of these things. <laughs> you know, I don't know why this sucking of the iced coffee with the ice blocks was picked up by the mic so loudly, but it really was. <laughs> Maybe it's like <laughs> testing my patience. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have been able to be calm. I've been able to be stoic. I've been able to wait things out many, many times in my life. But I've never done, or I very rarely was able to do this with an attitude of relaxation, love, curiosity, openness, trusting, enjoyment, right? That's kind of, that is the attitude that makes waiting into powerful patience. Like when you're really patient, you wait with love, with trust, with curiosity, with openness. The way I waited most of my life, when I had to wait, was with tense, with tension, and with um, hard-headedness, with a sort of, I'm going to, I'm not going to move until this continues, until the, this keeps flowing, and you cannot break me. I will be an, an immovable object waiting here for the, you know, unstoppable force. And I, I, you know, that's, I think also partly how I became world-class in enduring, like I'm very good in enduring discomfort and enduring is also like, it could be confused for patience, right? You just sit there, you quietly. You know, take it all and, and they're like, wow, look how patient he's dealing with the situation. But there's no real beautiful patience in there. It's enduring. It's it's actually suffering. It's pain, but you just hold it in tightly and don't let it out. 
You take the you suffering. You take yeah. the suffering. You take your beating quietly. When you're patient, there's no beating. There is no suffering. You know, there's nothing you have to endure because you love it, because you enjoy it, because you trust this trust, this tremendous trust in real patience that it is taking the time it has to take and it would lead to good outcomes, whatever they are, right? It takes tremendous trust to be truly patient. I've learned to become more patient over the years in some aspects of my life. In other aspects of my life, I have become more aware of my impatience. I've become aware how irritable I can be by seemingly little things, right? Although I've always thought I'm kind of patient, I can be very patient. I'm like, God, these, my behavior in this area does not connect with the self-image in that area. I wonder what there is to learn here about myself. Something here is wrong. And probably, and usually it's the thing that's more positive that's wrong. It's not the negative thing because, you know, usually, not always, but, um, and I was thinking about impatient, like, you know, I also, persistence and patience can be confused with each other sometimes, right? I had been very persistent in my life from the get-go. That's something I have from birth. Hmm. And I've taught people yep. persistence, right? I've taught thousands of people to be more persistent. And persistence, you know, is, could be sometimes confused for a flavor of patience because good persistence is also positive. It also believes and trusts, right? It believes more than it trusts, right? And I'll, I'll explain in a second what I mean by, two, by, by differentiating the two. You have to be positive. You have to believe. It has to be... Um, it can't be limited, right? Like a real persistence is almost like inhumane in how much of it you can display. And you can't be suffering through it. You It needs to be something that's energizing, not that's uh, soaking you off energy every time you do it. But persistence is the, I believe that I can get what I want if I just keep going with the same energy and I'm not going to be deterred or uh, influenced by the resistance I'm meeting because I know at some point that resistance will fall and I'm actually excited about getting there because nobody gets there. That's persistence. Patience is completely different because patience, when you're patient, you can't believe in a specific outcome. You can't know already that this is going to be the way I want it. I just have to wait. Trusting meaning that you, that when you're really patient, you trust that what is unfolding right now is right and good. And wherever it leads will be good. And it can lead to totally different places than you want. And then you'll be open and curious about that. That is the power of you know, true patience and the love it encapsulates. I was also thinking today that part of what makes a great parent is also patience, right? Is like how much, because you have to have patience when you have children, 
But most parents don't have patience. Most parents, you know, either are persistent with it, persi very persistent with their children, like keep pushing the thing they want the children to do or to learn or to, you know, submit to, or slash, and they're, you know, very good at like enduring things. They're just like silently, quietly suffering for this thing to stop or for this child to start with something. But what really is transformative for your children and one of the most powerful ways of loving your children is real patience. Like a parent that is really patient and trusts deeply and is okay with wherever the thing unfolds. That's something incredibly beautiful and also not obviously very rare, right? Patience is rare in the world. I was thinking in business, most of the great things that I achieved in the earlier years of my career were all due to persistence, nothing else, just like relentless persistence. And all the great things that I've accomplished in the last bunch of years have been patience. Like I've had a number of huge wins. Most of my big wins these days are actually private. Like there, there are things that my co-founders might know about, but nobody else, because I'm not creating content around it. I'm not sharing it with anybody. But most of my very big, significant wins in business in the past five, six years have been patience. Have, and not always because I'm so trust, like I've become a lot more trusting when it comes to life and business. I've become a lot more long-term. So if my measurement of time is always 10x yours and all my competitors, I don't even have to be that patient because my time is ticking at a much slower rhythm. So I can wait much longer than others by but having the exact same personal experience of it, right? Like my time just moves slower the way I think it's much, much longer term. But I've accomplished some really great things by being a lot more patient than I used to be and by oftentimes using a tactic with one of my co-founders, for instance, Anthony, where he would go, this thing is bad. We need to fix bad thing. It's been bad for a long time. Let's take out the fucking hammer and brutally fucking bash it away. And let's just do something. We have to do something. And I would always, like with subtopics, I would slow him down and go, this thing is bad. I agree. It's been bad for a long time. I agree. Funny enough, it's been bad for a long time and nothing. There were no really big consequences, right? Like things have still been pretty good. Although this thing is bad. If we bash it with a hammer, the chances of good things happening next are very low. The chances of it being so-so are 50-50. And the chances of a bad re thing becoming terrible are pretty significant in my mind. So why would we do that? Do you have an approach that has a much higher chance for success than what you just proposed to me? And be like, no, but we can't wait forever. I'm like, well, we've waited many years and we're totally fine. Who says we can't wait longer? Let's wait till we have a good idea what to do about this. Because right now, obviously, the idea that you propose sucks. The only reason why it feels good is because it feels like doing something. And because this thing makes you fearful right now, like you're afraid. Oh, my God, it hasn't done anything yet. But man, what if tomorrow something happens? But that's not a good enough reason to do something dumb. Like, yeah. if we do something, let's it's do like something smart. Yeah. And... One of the biggest of these topics, this is a topic, one day I'll write about this 
but it's too ridiculous and crazy to share it on this podcast. But there was one thing that's been, was bothering us for like maybe seven years. It was a pretty big thing. And then last year, and for seven years, maybe five, six times a year, Anthony would get a little bit of a panic attack around it. And I would stop him. And not always because I was wise to be fully transparent. There were times where I was just lazy or times where I was just afraid of like attacking this thing. And then it becomes a huge, big problem that I'll have to deal with. Sometimes it was just self-serving. Like, I don't want to deal with this right now. It's not. But in later years, it became more and more true patience and my long-term thinking and thinking, I'm not going to do something dumb just because I don't like this. Unless I have a better approach, like a, an idea that will make this better, I'm going to wait and see what happens. And then after seven years of this, last year, the problem almost magically solved itself. Something that was like, what happened last year is like a one in a one million thing in business. Like nobody, like it's so rare that any company has been able to pull off what we pulled off. Magic, right? I don't want to push people's curiosity too much or fantasy too much. And they'll come up with all kinds of wild stories. And all of them are going to be wrong. Like you're all wrong about what it is. But it was a beautiful thing to experience, to see the power of patience and time when really there is no great alternative in the moment. And it goes back like Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger have been amazing examples of teaching people that you really don't have to be that's smart. You just have to never be as dumb as most people are. And if you can do that long enough, you'll end up looking like a genius, right? Just don't do the really dumb things when most people will do the dumb things. And if you can do that for a decade or two, you're going to end up winning in such a humongous way. It's much harder to be a genius than to not be stupid, but it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of patience to not be stupid when most of humanity is stupid, right? And so in some areas of business, I've learned patience, although mostly I've exhibited persistence, but in my personal life, again, I'm like, I'm, I'm just recently started, I think, noticing more when and how I get impatient and even feeling the sensing into the difference between patience and enduring and being quiet and being calm and that those are not all the same things although they look the same from the outside they're very dramatically different things and the thing that was beautiful about momo the book is how she is the you know such an amazing listener because when she listens she listens with all the time in the world and when you gift somebody that kind of patience, that kind of like richness in time, you empower and enliven and enlighten them. In, and they do that through you in ways that you could never accomplish by giving them the answer or by giving them any, pointing them to any kind of other vehicle. Like we, people will find the truth within themselves if they can find the time through somebody else in this case, right? Through that little girl, Momo. I started thinking about turtles because in the book Momo, there's a very special turtle, Cassiopeia. And, and there's something 
funny about it because today on my river walk, I saw many, many turtles. There are a lot of turtles at Lady Bird River in Austin, which is kind of cool. Like, I don't know, you, I usually don't see turtles like just on random, you know, random walks during the week. But here you almost always can see turtles. Um, and as I was looking at the turtles, I was thinking of Cassiopeia, right? Uh, that little turtle that could look half an hour into the future, but could not tell you what the future would be. And that would basically communicate in a few simple words on its, uh, what is it called? Panzer? Like a shell. Yeah, on its shell, right? And I don't know. Now I'm going off the road of normal thinking and I'm going to like just creative exploration, which can often lead to the road of bullshit, but might lead to something interesting. So, you know, you'll have to, you have to follow me into this. So it's interesting. It's interesting that you think you were on the road of normal thinking. And it's also true. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Touche. Touche, sir. Touche. Um, the, <laughs> the, I started thinking about Cassiopeia because as I was reading the book, one thing that struck me as weird was that Cassiopeia could only look half an hour into the future. I was like, hmm, why is that? Right? Why is that? Now, I told you in the book, and I shared it with you today in Slack, um, Michael Ende, the author, uh, in an interview, answered why in so many of his books there are turtles uh, that appear in those storylines. He talks about this fascination of the turtle, and I think it's beautiful. Like the things he says there and how he says them, I'm like, I love it. I've never thought about turtles that way, but now I love them because of him and through him. But when I was reading the book, I kept thinking, it's kind of weird that this little turtle, this magical little turtle, can look into the future but only half an hour. My first thought was, well, this is probably like just a convenient limitation to make the story work. Otherwise, this is the end of the whole book, right? Like just the turtle, turtle shows up, knows everything that's ever going to happen, just tells Momo what to do or not to do, and then just fucks off again. And the end, right? There's no story if the turtle knows everything and could tell you all, all of it. So that was one way of thinking about it. But today I thought about a different way of thinking about it, which was this thought of, well, when you, when you observe a turtle and you think about some of the things that make that animal, that creature unique, right? I mean, they live very, very long lives, right? So they, they sort of have a different internal clock, right? We all have an internal clock. Theirs is going slower and longer than most creatures of uh, that kind. And when you think about like, you know, all these stories in, in all these, you know, the, the, these children's stories, these, um, these old, old stories where turtles show up to teach everybody something about patience, something about time as well. You know, but what's the famous story of the, the, the race between the, um, there's another word for turtle that is often used, but I don't know why I never use it. Turquoise no, or tor, tor, Yeah. I don't know, I don't know how to say it. It's like a weird, weird word, but it is used often. <laughs> and that, that, the, the, the turtle and the hair, right. The kind of the, and they, 
they race and obviously the, the turtle wins because, you know, one step at a time and patient while the other one is super arrogant, knows it's, it's a faster animal, but then like whatever gets into trouble or bullshit and, and loses. And I thought about, you know, what happens when you have two beings, let's take two human beings and one of them is able to slow down time in his mind and his body and his being and think much longer term and think things through much calmer and clearer and think about the very next, like the, the, the next steps, like what needs to happen and what could possibly happen next. And I thought, you know, when you have patience and when you think long-term and when you are calm, it sort of gives you a pretty clear picture of what's about to happen next. Like you cannot see 30 years into the future, but it's much easier for you to see a certain amount of ahead of everybody else. Like it gives you a little bit of a, of a longer view and vision of everybody. Everybody else is looking down is stressed and you kind of look up a little bit and see a bit further of what's, what is probably going to transpire. What are all the pieces and parts of the dynamic and how your next step will influence the next step. And then the next step, it's almost like cheating, almost like being able to look into the future a tiny bit ahead of everybody else. That's what happens when you're able to be more patient than others, slow time down, think things through and thinking things through very fast is only going to cause labyrinths of the mind, right? Where you're like, oh, this could happen, that could happen, that could happen. And well, this, what about that? And I have to also talk to this person about it. And that, <coughs> that is such a, you take like a, a marker and you're writing so quickly and so erratically that at the end, when you look at the whiteboard, it's going to be impossible to now find the answer here. Like, it's just like a bunch of dribble everywhere. Just like too many words, too much all over the place. But when you think through things calmly, slowly, clearly, without distracting, without, you know, jumping ahead or jumping to sidelines or, or, or rushing, then time slows down for you a little bit, or, or you know, you, you get sort of, it's not forever. You can't see 30 years into the future exactly, but it gives you a little bit of a, of a delay of time in the immediate, almost like you can look half an hour into the future, right? A little bit into the future, just enough to be ahead of everybody else that doesn't have time. And if you think the main, the main, uh, you know, opposition that Cassiopeia is helping Momo to win against are the gray man, the gray man that are the stealers of time. The gray man never have enough time. They rush through everything and they, you know, can't think long term. They're all about like hoarding and stealing every second of every human being they can. So. One of the main times that Cassiopeia comes and really saves Momo is the first time all the gray men are in the city searching for her. 
and Cassiopeia is guiding Momo perfectly in a zigzag throughout the entire city, the weirdest route, because it knows always exactly half an hour ahead of where all the gray men are going to be. And so she just routes her all around them, right? And so she has this massive competitive advantage in this situation against them because she's able to see just a little ahead when they can't. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, you know, obviously I don't know if it's that, but I started thinking about the kind of the predictive power, the, the power of sight, the expansion of sight you win you, or you gain with patience, with, uh, the ability to be quieter, to go slower, to be calmer, to think further, right? Um, there's something, there's a, a very clear advantage you're getting, and it's almost like you can look ahead of them. Like you can look ahead of time. Yeah. It's a, it's a trade-off, right? You, you trade one for the other. There's also value to thinking on your feet, being very fast, right? And, and doing that in certain situations, it's almost like you get a, like you said, a wider sense and a, and a longer term sense where if you translate it to a common life scenario, one is like great for being in the game and winning it, making the next right move, right? And the other one is more the why even play this game and where does it lead? And is this what I want as one example of where this, yeah. where this manifests? And of course, you know, it's not like if the whole world and all of nature existed only of turtles, everything would be perfect, right? I mean, there's a lot, there's a, the beauty of life. I think, I think that there should, we should, we should consider and that you know, the totalization the of the, the world. Turtleization <laughs> of the world. I like it. Uh, I mean, Michael Ende was convinced that, you know, turtles existed way before us and they probably will exist way after we've checked out. Um, and was saying how he loves that they are totally and completely useless animals. They don't help nature in some way. They don't, they don't serve some kind of a purpose. They have no enemies and they don't pose any threats. They need very little, right? Just a few, uh, few pieces of grass, a few, a, a tiny little bit, and they can get along with that very, very long. And they kind of oppose all of modern thinking of like usefulness and purpose and place. They just exist, right? They just very peacefully exist without having some greater purpose or some greater skill or some greater place in the ecosystem that's important because they do X and Y and they help with, they just, they're just there. They don't seem to care about doing a particular job in nature, you know, getting a specific placement in its ranking. Um, but of course, you know, there, there's beauty in variety, right? And when you're in that kind of a state, there's things that are not going to be a frequency that you can capture and consume and enjoy, right? Like probably, you know, um, a, an erratic jazz, uh, ensemble that improvises on stage and creates crazy, you know, art in the moment is a very like jittery energy. It's very like in this moment, very explosive, very intense. It's a very different 
experience and exercise and, and, and manifestation of life, then, you know, the example of thinking very long-term, being patient and all that. And sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, patience is bad. I'm talking about this as an idea today in a very kind of black and white, all, you know, or not probably like everything else in life, there's, you know, ranges of this. Um, and you know, none of us probably can be the sort of Buddha patient level where you could just sit there indefinitely, um, until you fall over. Bulmo, that's too more patient. patient. Momo patient yeah. is good. Like she, she still at some point would probably speak or move, but yeah. she is, yeah. you know, worlds apart from most people in terms of how calmly, yeah. openly, curiously, and lovingly she will give her time, right? And there's another thing to be patient means you have to give a lot. You have to give a surplus of your time to somebody or something, right? Now, if you have to give a surplus of your time to somebody or something, you need to both feel rich in time. You need to be aware and in touch with your time wealth, right? Everybody thinks they're starved for time. Everybody senses that they have a lack of time. Although every human being has the same time on earth, there's great differences in how people perceive their time and their time account. And so if you think, if you perceive your life as being indebted when it comes to time, like you're, you're in way too little and you're, you're owing everybody time that you can't pay them and everything time that you're not giving it to, then obviously when something requires, something or somebody requires patience from you, so you giving it a lot more time than usual, that something, a usual interaction would take. That's going to be difficult for people to do. That's going to be difficult for you to accept. Like you think you're poor and on the street and I'm asking you for a million dollars. That's going to be difficult for you to be like, sure, I, I can do this. Right? So to be patient probably also means to be very aware of the time you have, to be very in touch with your time and to feel rich in time. In many ways, we all are. This is a very difficult concept for people that feel strapped for time to believe. And everybody that I've talked to, that I've tried to convince that they have plenty of time, the less time they feel they have, the less they are ever willing to even consider this fucking point. They all, like, literally, yeah. they all think, yeah, you can say this, but motherfucker, right. you don't know how it is to be a the 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 the. I'm a starting entrepreneur. Right. You're not already successful. I, my right. children are younger than yours. I don't have as much money. I uh, don't have a... Right. Yeah. The, the less time people think exactly. they have... I had, I, had a, I had a beautiful Momo moment actually exactly about that yesterday where um, I was, I was like going to the car and then I was thinking and, and, I, and I kind of did it in a, in a okay, this is, this is kind of the useless time where it's just like logistically necessary right and i was treating it that way and then i thought of where the gray man come to what's his name the barber right yeah 
And then they tell him, oh, you know, they do the calculation. Well, how long do you think you will live? Oh, that's so and so many seconds, right? And then they break down. This is the time you work. You sleep, this, that, right? And it's like, well, if, and then they go like, well, if instead of spending 30 minutes with a customer, you just spend 15 minutes, this will free up, you know, 47,378 seconds of your time, right? And then if you do this and that, and then if you like, okay, every day you spend an hour talking with your old mom, who's not even really like fully there anymore, right? Why don't you put her in a place in a, you know, a cheap, cheap caretaking home? And then that frees up 75,488 seconds, right? And then this girl, are you really going to marry her? No, you're not going to. So why, why spend all this time? Maybe just see her once a month instead of every week, right? And then they do the calculation. And they break down how like, oh, you're going to have so much more time at the end of this. But you also, it's so obvious that doing all this will make his life so miserable, which is he actually has a nice life, right? But once he thinks about what he's missing and what he could have, right? And they, oh, it's, it's so beautiful. And then I was like, thinking about that, I was like, ha, funny. I'm the barber right now. Hmm. And then I kind of changed it. Yeah. You know, um, I... Just this week, I started to mindfully um, eat again. So that means breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I eat in silence and I'm just with my food and just, and I try to also like, I try to make a difference in, I could eat in silence, but be busy in thoughts. And I attempt right. to not, right? I attempt to be enjoying and experiencing every spoon, every piece um, that I eat. And I ha haven't had as great of a dinner as the last two nights in a year. Like I was so thoroughly enjoying it and experiencing actually the explosions of flavor in my mouth. And these are dishes that I've eaten, you know, 40 times before while either emailing or listening to a podcast or reading a book or doing something else. And I can't remember a single one of them. And like the last two nights were like amazing. And mm -hmm. I've also started like finding other places where, you know, where my phone, for instance, has gotten a place. So one is, you know, going to the bathroom. Like I'll take the phone and I'll listen to stuff or read things or do things, not doing that. Um, walking to pick up coffee, right? Like I, I just stopped, this is something I stopped a year ago to listen to podcasts or audiobooks on the way to little, to short places. Like when I do listen to an audiobook today, then it is something where I go, I will go out to listen to the audiobook, right? And I'll go out for a walk yeah. to listen to the book. But I don't listen randomly on ways to places. Like, ah, I'm going to go to the gym. On the way to the gym, let me listen to something. On the way to the coffee shop, mm -hmm. let me listen to something. And getting comfortable with silence, getting comfortable, and also more importantly, giving the thing you're doing all your presence, all your awareness. With mm -hmm. food especially, it makes such a difference. It makes such mm -hmm. a tremendous difference. In the mornings now, I've started to spend, I'm not quite at a full hour, but I would say that the first 30 minutes of the day, I don't do anything right now. Like the first 30 minutes of the day, I actually 
just think. I might just, you know, get up and go quickly to the bathroom, but I'll, I'll sit, you know, on the couch or on the chair and I will just be. I will just, whatever thoughts, feelings I have, whatever I just process. And then I'll do, write down my dreams and some of my thoughts and do some, a little bit of writing. And then I'll start my day. But I start with 30 minutes of nothing. And I do have to say that, you know, I got inspired by whatever his name is. I forgot it. I always forget the whatever lab guy that's like killing it right now. Huberman, yeah, right? Huberman lab guy um, who gave this whole speech about like the first hour being so important for processing your dreams and processing all the information and like generating all these important insights before you step into the day and utilize your brain to do other things. I'm not at a full hour, but even that, like usually I used to in the last couple of months, I got into the bad habit of waking up in the morning. The first thing I would do is I would grab my phone and I would spend like 15 minutes of my phone, 10, 15 minutes, you know, going through social media, checking a bunch of messengers. And then I would like put it away and start like writing down things and starting my day. And I always knew this is shitty, but it kind of was like, it's, it's almost like I, this 10 minutes of phone is helping me wake up, getting like energized and very jolting in its energy. And so I, I just wanted that. And now that I do the kind of half an hour of just laying in bed or just like chilling, there are, it's been many times now where as I lay there, I notice something about how I feel or I notice something that has been bothering me or something else that I think, wow, I would have completely missed this if I'd stepped into the day, the, the way that I used to, um, so there's some things that just, it, the, it makes the morning also so much more peaceful, right? Like think about this, like waking up in the first 10 minutes, you're on your phone, which is what I, what I find most people to be doing. Like as I've traveled with people and I've uh, seen many people now in different places in the morning, most people, first thing they do, they grab the phone the first half hour or whatever, they're on yep. their phone. Yep. It is such a difference. It, it's the difference between getting up you're at the serene viewpoint and you see the sunrise and you hear a waterfall and you just like get to serenity and peace before starting your day or waking up and being in the middle of, you know, Times Square. And it's just like, you know, horns and people and ads everywhere. And this is the way you started your day. It's just so like such a drastic yeah. difference. Half an hour, yeah. it just starts the day on a completely different quality. But through all of this, the craziest difference I've noticed is eating, like food. Just food started tasting 50% better. Eating mm. it shifted from a pure chore to pleasure. Now, mm. some people are really good at this. Like you've always enjoyed, I think, food more and been more present with food than I. I, I never had a good relationship to food in that, in that way. Um, and I've learned and I've forgotten this lesson plenty of times. Let's see how much it sticks this time around. But it is crazy. It is not, it's not even the same thing. It can't even be put in the same category. Like, it's just not the same thing. It's like having, having sex while doing your taxes. It's like that's eating while doing something or just eating. It's the same thing. It can't be compared, <laughs> right? You do yeah. your taxes yeah. on a deadline. Like, we're stressed. Like, how could you, how much enjoyment could you yeah. have out of that sex, you know? And it's the yeah. same thing while, when you're eating while you're 
watching a YouTube video and checking your message on your phone. Like you're just not there for the experience at all. And food can be such a powerfully stimulating, sensual experience as you for sure know. And I, not so much, but learning, right? Learning. Um, it's crazy how big of a difference awareness and presence and focus, like picking a thing, just being like, this is the thing I will do now. Uh, we are so trained. I am so trained to think doing one thing alone is not enough. Yeah. Doing one thing at a time is not good enough. It is a waste of your time. It is too yeah. little. You want to always stack the doings. Always. You're going to grab the beer while Be you... Be more efficient. Yes. You're right. going to... I'm drinking my beer while eating a cake, listening to a podcast while answering an email. And by, at the same time, I remember that I have to, you know, fucking like uh, change the batteries in uh, some of my electronic devices. So I have like a bunch of electronic devices on the on the, the desk and I'm changing the batteries and I'm eating the cake and I'm, and I'm not doing anything at the end of all these activities. I have not done one of these things. I was yeah. never present for anything. They were all meaningless. I'm usually wasting time because I'm context switching so much that I'm really slow at every single one of these things and the pleasurable things I miss and the terrible things I, uh, stretch out. So instead of Finishing it in 10 minutes, I work on it for three hours because I only work on it a little bit at a time as I'm context switching to other things. It's the worst thing you can do. I know there's people out there. I won't name names, but there's a good friend of mine that I may or may not have had a podcast with that is convinced that he's amazing at multitasking and it's a personality thing. And that being great at multitasking is a superpower and is what makes him unique and great. And I don't buy a single fucking word of that. I think it's all a huge pile of bullshit. This is very common. There's a lot of people who think they're great at multitasking. It falls in the same category as some of the kind of mental sleight of hand things that yeah. we do, right? Too. Well, uh, there are many people that suck less at multitasking than their contemporaries. Right. That exists. Like there's right. ranges, right? right? And there are people right. that momentarily at times get an, like a, a, a great level of endorphin rush pleasure of hyper over multitasking. I, I agree right. and believe they, that. Totally. But if they compare themselves, their, their multitasking version versus a, a kind of mono-focused or however you want to call it, right? If they would actually do a comparison of these two. I mean, and, and there's like, maybe certain professions or situations where multitasking is more adequate, right? But it'll make you better um, at the thing like you do. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. I've never met anyone that is a crazy multitasker that once I've gotten to know them well, I could answer yes to the question, do you think they live a good life? Yeah. Do you think they ever have inner peace? Yeah. Do you think yeah. they have, they will die if they die today, they will die without regret saying I've given my time and my life to the right people in the right way. And I was there for it. Mm -hmm. It's always no, mm -hmm. it's always no. I always look at these people and they're like half ghosts. 
It's rushing around yeah. life, never getting really anywhere that's worth going to. Um, but, you know, we all tell, we all tell ourselves a good amount of stories that are told bullshit. This is definitely one of them. The, the power, the beauty and the value of doing one thing fully and wholly. And once it's done, choosing what to do next and then giving your all and your whole self to that thing. That is magic. That is power. And that's when time slows down just for you while all the world is, you know, on normal seconds, your seconds last 10 seconds longer, 10 times longer than mm -hmm. an average person's. And all of a sudden you become so rich. You have this abundance of taste and smell and feelings and ideas and experiences and no matter how much of that you have, you always have more time for more. You're never in a rush, never in a worry. Like when you do that, it's magic. But learning to do that, it's tricky. Even in small things, like one thing that I learned from my mother, for instance, was to never walk through the room without asking yourself if there's something you could get done, you know, while you're up. Like, so... If I get up now, like I've, I've had this beer, right? And it's empty. The bottle is empty. If I get up now, the first thing I'll do is I'll pick that bottle and I'll walk mm -hmm. to the kitchen to throw it away before I walk all the way back to my bedroom. And on the way back, I might see something and go, oh, I could fix this little thing, this cushion up. And then on my way back, I'll ask myself, what are all the tasks I should do? And what is the perfect route of doing them? Like, oh, I'm going to yeah, pick yeah, up the sock uh, at this corner while walking over yeah. there to do this thing and then walk yeah. over there. Uh, Maximum efficiency, uh, you know. It's a, it's a great utilization of that beautiful, amazing miracle of our mind. Yeah. <laughs> But oftentimes with me and with my mother, It is not the mind that serves the man. It is the man that starts being the servant of the mind. You know how many yeah. times I've walked the weirdest routes? Like if I showed you the route that the, here's the last 30 minutes, how I was walking in this apartment, you'd be like, what mm -hmm. the fuck were you doing? And I'm like, it makes no sense. But while I walked yeah. all the way to the bathroom to do this one little thing that was in the kitchen, I remembered this other thing that's in that other, uh, you know, bedroom. And I walked all the way to that other bedroom to pick up that thing. And then I remember, and I'm, and now I'm like this little mouse that's in this, like the, the, the hamster in the hamster wheel. And I'm just running and running and running. And what did I really accomplish? Yeah. I, I like, I have a, I could give you a list. I threw away three pieces of garbage. I, you know, folded some socks. I put away a uh, shaving cream. So, but it's like, is, that, is any of that, was any of that important? Did I really need to do that right now? Mm -hmm. It's good and it's smart when it's, you know, measured when you walk, you know, when I walk from the bedroom to the kitchen and these five empty plates that need to get to the kitchen in the bedroom, it's kind of smart to pick them and take them with you. That's good thinking, right? Why would you not do that? 
But when that thing then determines the, what you do the next 15 minutes, like the items randomly in the room are, are dictating mm -hmm. what you're doing, that's not mm -hmm. good. And that's how our lives look like. I mean, not just the items in your apartment, yeah. it's the items on your phone, it's the items on your laptop. Yeah. It's the random items in the world that dictate the route you take in your life and in your day, and you never get anywhere. And then you're like, I don't have enough time. People don't understand. There's just not enough time in the day. Yeah, well, sure. If you go five times every hour, uh, you know, from the kitchen to the bathroom and back and forth to pick up a toothpaste, right? Like that, you're not going to accomplish anything. If that's the way you spend your life, you're not going to accomplish mm -hmm. very much, right? Uh, if you're that wasteful with it, but you need awareness. First and foremost, I think awareness slows everything down. With awareness, it clarifies yeah. everything. And then being present, you know, while things slow down and why, while things are clarified, it's much easier to think and feel and to then decide and live.